God is good. And all the time? Oh man, you sound like you slept in this morning. I don't really like, you know, get excited about competition, but first service was a little bit stronger. It took two times, though, but they were stronger. They sounded pretty sick. I think they were out on those Black Fridays, early morning, you know, sales. I'm not sure what it was. Um, let's try it again. God is good. Oh, man, it's already so better. And all the time? God is good. Yes, he is. Well, before uh, I get into the sermon today, we've got a few things we want to do. Um, first of all, Pastor Kevin Morse and Ewan, you, wanna, you have a certificate there. Um, let's see if we have a mic here as well. There, there we go. And uh, Ewan, why don't you come on up here? Wasn't it an honor to see Ewan be baptized today? Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. It's such an honor. Ewan, we're happy to present you with your baptismal certificate. And John, I have to laugh when it says uh, Southeastern California Conference because I'm paid by Southern. But hey, thanks yeah. for letting us be here. And when you come into our territory, we own you for the day. So I'm just saying. You, know. you owe me a baptism. That's right. Okay. All right. There you go. All right. Congratulations, Ewan. Proud of you. Uh, and uh, Autumn, it's probably is she. Everything's good right now. Whisper the sermon today. Good to have Autumn dedicated. Pastor Steve, honored to have you and Val here today with us as well. Coming all the way from that church far away in Escondido, California. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, and it was a pleasure to be to see Kira dedicated this morning too, um, at first service. So, baby dedications, baptisms. God is good, isn't he? Yes. And I'm going to have to call Dr. Bob out for a second. Um, just because you're loved so much by this church, uh, you and Alice. And, um, so I know, I know you try to be inconspicuous. <laughs> you know, didn't want this church to be known in the community very much, you know, so you started a concert series and all that type of things and so on. But there's a lot of people in this church that love you and want to pray for you. And um, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind, if before we started the sermon, if you wouldn't mind coming up and we could have any family that would like to and some of the and elders and prayer team. Could we just come around you and pray um, as you prepare for um, surgery on Monday and we can pray for Alice as well as she's uh, in the hospital today. So let's do that at this time. I'll move this out of the way. And those who would like to come up, just come up and we're going to come around Bob and pray for him uh, and Alice. Why don't you just stand right down here and we'll, that way we can come around him. Let's pray. Jesus, we're here first and foremost because of you and your love for us today. But we're also coming around one of your servants here in Calamesa who um, has been serving you for a long time and in ways that has uh, borne much fruit in this church family and in this community. 
But Lord, he doesn't stand here alone. In spirit, we have Alice by him as well. And we thank you so much for their love for you and their love for each other. And as we as brothers and sisters in the Lord and and family come around, we ask, Lord, that you would lavishly pour out your grace upon them. Lord, bring your anointing upon them. As Alice is in the hospital, we pray that you give her peace. We pray that you give her courage. And we pray for healing as well, Lord. And Lord, we ask for Bob as he prepares uh, for surgery on Monday morning. We pray, Lord, that you would give him that peace also beyond understanding. And may he have rest. But Lord, we as well ask for healing in his life and with his heart, Lord. Pray for the surgeon who will be taking care of him that day. Lord, may he be at the peak of his skill that you've given to him. And may your healing touch be through him. Lord, we love them both dearly, and we know that you love them even more than we do. So, Lord, may they especially have a sense of your presence, not only around them, but in them, Lord. Amen. Knowing your strength that is beyond all strengths known to humanity. We put them in the hands of your care. In Jesus' name, amen. I love when the church is the church, right? It's about people. And uh, Paul is going to remind us um, about relationships and Thanksgiving today. And in fact, we're ending our series today in Philippians, uh, our 11th part in the series. It ends today. And uh, now that Thanksgiving will be over, we'll focus on Christmas, Right? Remember I told you, I'm sorry, that's one of my pet peeves, you know, when Christmas starts before Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm not supposed to, we're not supposed to talk about our pet peeves in the pulpit, but it's one of my imperfections, one of my many, but uh, you know my opinion on that then. Ah, well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, I had a, a nice Thanksgiving. I got to eat a lot of food, you know, and I was with family, and I got to eat a lot of food. Did you get to eat a lot of food? Uh-huh. Yes. And you're here to ask forgiveness? <laughs> All right. So that's one of the things I love about Thanksgiving. Just it, time kind of stops and you're with family and you're with food. And uh, that's one of my addictions. I claim I'm powerless over it. Uh, but uh, I, I, I like that. Thanksgiving. The attitude of gratitude you often heard it said. Um, McDavid, Richardson, and Zoll wrote in a book a story, a book called Long Grace, a story that I found pretty interesting that I want to share with you briefly today. They said, imagine you fall off the side of an ocean liner and not knowing how to swim, you begin to drown. Someone on the deck spots you flailing in the water and throws you a life preserver. It lands directly in front of you And just before losing consciousness, you grab hold for dear life. They pull you up on deck and you cough the water out of your lungs. People gather around rejoicing that you are safe and waiting expectantly while you regain your senses. And after you finally catch your breath, you open your mouth and you say, Did you see the way I grabbed onto that life preserver? (laughs) 
Did you see how tightly I held on to it? Did you notice the definition in my biceps and the dexterity of my wrists? I was all over that thing. Needless to say, it would be a bewildering and borderline insane response to draw attention to the way you cooperated with the rescue effort denigrates the whole point of what happened, which is that you were saved. A much more likely chain of events is that you would immediately seek out the person who threw the life preserver and you would thank them, not just superficially either, you would embrace them, ask them their name, invite them to dinner, maybe give them your cabin. Gratitude is a natural response to salvation. Last week we looked at Paul talking about rejoice. Again, I would say rejoice and to give thanks in all circumstances. We rejoice because we're saved. Now, I, I talked about this a little bit last week, but remember, we can rejoice that we are saved because Jesus did it all. We don't, if we don't rejoice, maybe it's because we question either he was capable of doing it all or that if it's going to be, it's up to me. But we give thanks because ultimately God has provided a way for us to be saved. And his name is Jesus. And so we give thanks. But the day-to-day and the challenges and burdens, the, the weights of life, can seem to weary us and sometimes seem to make us forget how blessed we really are. And to somehow lose our sense of gratitude to God for the life he's given us and the salvation he's offered to us. We've all been there. Some of us maybe are there today. The stresses, the worries, the, the things that just happen in life can make us sometimes forget the sense of gratitude that we can have on a day-to-day basis, the gratitude for life. I found it interesting. Natasha Courtney Smith wrote in the DailyMail.com this article, Losing Your Mind, What Happens During 48 Hours in a Pitch Black Bunker? Listen to this. Imagine you are in a small underground chamber, no bigger than a prison cell. The door is locked. The lights are switched out. It is not just dark, it's pitch black. And the silence is all-encompassing. Could any human, in fact, endure such total sensory deprivation without losing their sanity? That was what British scientists sought to discover in an extreme experiment that placed six volunteers into a total isolation chamber for 48 hours. So who would be brave or foolish enough to undergo a similar ordeal voluntarily? Step forward, Adam Bloom, 37 years old who was confident he could cope well with the deprivation. But Bloom described what happened when the door was slammed shut. He said, I spent the first half an hour in the bunker talking, singing, making jokes, but that quickly got boring. In the absence of a watch or sunlight, I totally lost track of time. I dozed on and off, but I had no idea whether it was day or night. At one point, I started singing, and then I burst into tears. I can't remember the last time I cried. After 40 hours, he began to hallucinate. I felt as though the room was taking off from underneath me. For the first time, I realized that the lack of stimulation was driving me close to insanity. But then for Bloom, there was an unexpected outcome. Gratitude. Bloom explains, When we'd arrived at the bunker before the experiment, I had thought it was all rather bleak. The exterior was all overgrown and the bunker was an eyesore. But when I left after 48 hours, I noticed how green the grass was. 
how blue the sky was, and hundreds of yellow buttercups. It was staggeringly beautiful. Even washing my hands under the faucet was amazing. I made a vow that I would never again ignore and not appreciate my surroundings. Church, let's face it. Life is hard sometimes. And when it's hard, we forget how beautiful life is. We forget the many blessings that God has blessed us with. I like to follow on Instagram um, athletes who have disabilities and watch their posts, their day-to-day challenges and the things that they do to to keep growing and get stronger. And it's such an encouragement. And, and sometimes when I'm exercising and I'm whining and complaining about the workout that day, I'm thinking, what am I thinking? I just watched a guy in a wheelchair do a muscle-up like gymnastics do, carrying the wheelchair with him. Wow. How do they do it? I remember one lady was working. She was doing these push-ups, and she was crippled. And she says, some people do this to get stronger. I do this so that I can take care of myself day to day. Wow. We forget the blessings that we have. Paul writes in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forevermore. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. There's much in this passage, some that I won't be able to touch on today, but I want to focus on just a few things. And then in closing, I once again, I got such a response last week from Ed's story. I thought I would give you a little treat again with a little bit more of Ed's story, if that's okay. And so we'll see part two of his story. You saw part six, so we're kind of going back early on. Um, But I thought it appropriate for today's message, so we'll share that at the end. Notice Paul says that he had learned to be content. Now that's a word that kind of seems foreign in our society today, doesn't it? To be content. It's hard to be content. Um, In fact, our society kind of trains us not to be content right? That's what advertising is all about, to keep you from being content. Because if you're content, someone out there is not going to make more money, right? And so they must constantly make us thirsty. What's that saying? You can lead a horse to water, but you what? 
Oh, but you can. What do you do? Give them salt, right? <laughs> and that's what our world does. It feeds us lots of salt so that we get thirsty and must consume whatever they're saying we need to drink. Don't drink the water, okay? Just saying. Yes. Paul says in verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's the secret. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Or some of you may have memorized, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It was all about Jesus for Paul. It was that relationship with Jesus and that trust and that surrender to Jesus to where Paul was not self-sufficient. Paul was God-sufficient. And when someone is God-sufficient, not self-sufficient, then we have all we need. God is all we need, church. Isn't that why we're the church? God is all we need. And God will provide all of our needs. Now, I, I found this interesting. Um, Ted Schofield, who has a, a blog and a ministry called Mockingbird, he wrote on his blog just last month, everybody else's biggest problem, my needs, your greeds. <laughs> and he said this, listen to this. What do human beings really need? At one tragic extreme, at least 700 million people do not have access to clean water. Listen to that, 700 million people. Every year, half a million children die from waterborne diseases. If we ask a rail-thin Brazilian teenager drinking foul water from a puddle about needs, what reply might we receive? That I need the new whatever phone? Or I need... At the other extreme, he says, earlier in the year, our national media reported on a high-profile divorce. The court asked the spouse seeking child support to itemize her monthly needs, which topped $1 million. Remember, that's monthly. And included $6,800 for groceries, $2,000 for stationery, $160,000 for vacation accommodations, and $300,000 for a private jet. These were monthly expenses. I'm sure we all agree. We could sit here and say, oh, that's outlandish, and it is. But let's face it, church, pastors and parishioners, we have more wants than needs, don't we? And it's nice to have the new whatever. But God says he'll provide all of our needs, not all of our wants. And sometimes that's hard for us to distinguish. Paul said he had learned. He had learned the secret of being content. It didn't just happen. He learned it. Let me remind you of some of the ways he might have learned this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 24, he says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
I spend a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He also said at the first chapter, 2 Corinthians, he said, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we've experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Listen to this. This is Paul writing. So that we despaired of life itself. Now, sometimes I think we have this picture of Paul like he's this Clint Eastwood of the gospel, you know, and just kind of walks into a town, shares the gospel, cleans up the town. Can you imagine Paul despairing of life itself? He's been there. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Did you catch that there in in 2 Corinthians? In verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly pearl, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. See, Paul learned. Paul learned through his situations in life. And and all of us here in our different places in our situations of life of hardship, or as we have called it, the the school of hard knocks, we learn, are we either going to trust God Or is it all up to me? Am I going to be God-sufficient or am I going to be self-sufficient? Because I've witnessed in my own life and as I've ministered to others that when I rely on self-sufficiency and when I watch others, it's a hard road. But when we rely on the sufficiency of God, there comes that peace beyond understanding. The strength and the courage and the hope and the contentment in any and every situation. Because we have learned that we can do all of this through him who gives us strength. Do you remember these words that were said to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. I want you to hear those words this morning, morning, church. I want you to hear not me saying them, but hear God himself speaking to you this morning. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Nothing else in this life is sufficient for you but the grace of God. And when we come to realize that his grace really is sufficient for us, there is contentment. We can rest content because we know his grace is always sufficient. And when we know that, We will know and believe, as Paul says in verse 19, and my God will supply and will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. How much glory does Jesus have? Someone said all. You agree with that? All the glory? If he has all the glory, 
He's rich in glory. It says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You think he can handle your needs? Yes, we know he can. He can handle all of our needs. If he can handle all the sins of the world, I think he can handle our needs. Because ultimately he handled our greatest need. And he dealt with our sin. He can handle your needs, whatever those may be today or tomorrow. I like how the Amplified Version brings it out, brings out more of what the original language says. And my God will liberally supply, will fill to the full your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So he's not just going to, like, get you by. He's going to liberally supply, fill to the full your every need according to his riches. But let's face it, church, we need some discernment in understanding needs and wants. And uh, that's, been a, that's been a learning road for me. Thankfully, my wife has helped me out with that over the years. Um, you know, I, over the years, liking guitars, and I'd say, you know, I really need this guitar. She goes, need or want? No, it's a need. I'm sure it's a need. Yeah, I think it's more of a want. And I've learned more when I get tempted with a guitar, you know, and I hate how evil society is. They email me things, you know. Hey, this guitar's on sale. You know, hey, look at this one. You can get a special one on here. And, oh, God must be speaking to me right now. It's like, I didn't even look for it. It just came to me, right? It says he knows the desires of our hearts, and there it is, you know. Didn't even pray for it yet. There it was. And I've learned that I have definite wants. And so when I see another guitar that I <coughs> need, um, but I don't even have time to play the ones I have, I realize it's not a need and that it's a want. And God is helping us in those areas, isn't he, church? But may I just remind you of these words of Jesus. Because I know that all of us, on a day-to-day basis, it's hard to surrender to Jesus sometimes. It's hard just to say, Lord, take my life, take my wants, take my needs, take everything. I give it to you. I surrender to you. Because sometimes when we worry about tomorrow, it's hard to surrender today, isn't it? And the worries about tomorrow and our needs being taken care of can keep us from living in the present with Jesus now and surrendering to him. And so Jesus spoke these words. And he speaks them to us today when he said in Matthew... Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's hear those words, church. Let's receive those words. Let's rely on the word of God, Jesus himself. That he spoke the truth about how this life is to be lived. And as we do that, we might discover, as Paul says in verse 23, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with our spirit, will be with our heart, will be with our will. And we'll find that contentment in any situation, times of fear, times of worry, times of wondering if those needs will be met. There will be contentment in all situations. We will learn that, as Paul did, because we can fully trust in our Savior and our God, Jesus Christ. And because of that, we give thanks because we can't have contentment in the loving provision of our God. I'd like to close this morning with another video from Ed's story. Another video that I hope will encourage us to have a spirit of gratitude and a sense of contentment that we can trust the loving provision of our God and our Savior. My obsession with ALS was what if I can't use my hands or my legs? What if I'm in the wheelchair, have a feeding tube, can't talk? And I was really struggling with the future of my disease. When I would be thinking about the future, about my kids, my grandkids, my wife, my job, all of which would be taken away, I would sink in the darkness. When I can't button my shirts, or even do up the Velcro. It's a reminder that I'm on the downward spiral. I was reading in Hebrews and I thought, this is me. I'm afraid of tomorrow. So I wrote out the card decided when I was discouraged, I take a five-minute timeout and go over the verse again and again and again. It helps me not worry about tomorrow, and it brings me into the present moment. I was at Walmart with Lorna and Daniel, and he got the phone call that he was going to war. And I thought, wow, enough is enough, God.
we got in and drove an hour and a half, which was the longest drive I've ever taken. I kept looking in the mirror and I think he was trying to be brave. When you go off the war, you may not come home alive. Yet we hugged him. six months will I be able to walk when he comes back will I be able to hug him when you're living in fear every issue is overwhelming and discouraging. When Daniel went off to war, we quit watching the news. I didn't want to know what was going on. Early on in my journey with ALS, I created the note card. And when he went off to war, I didn't know what to give him. So I ended up giving him the first card that I had ever written out myself. I would say that Lorna and I had to let go of Daniel. And every time he got in a convoy, he had to let go of his future. I had to keep giving him to God and giving my future to God as well. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord 
is my helper. I will not be afraid. It was actually several years after he got back that I finally asked him, what did you do with the car? And he said every time he got in the truck for a convoy, he would place it on the windshield. And one night, the front truck got blown up by an IED, and they made back one of Daniel's friends to the hospital. And Daniel ended up giving him the car. And every time that kid got in the truck, he put it on the windshield. It was overwhelming to welcome him home. And it was unbelievable. No words to describe the first time. I think early on in my life, I thought I was in control. And ALS taught me I'm not in control. And the truth is, you don't control squat. Giving Daniel to God and giving my disease to God is something I had to do every day and many times a day. It's not something you do and get on with your life. I was reminded of Jesus' teaching, who says, don't worry about tomorrow. And he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store in barns, yet your Father takes care of them. When you're worried about the future, it's hard to find God. When you're living in the moment, he's right there with you. And now as we go, may we go content in the loving provision of our God.